I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and we're not short of things to talk about at the minute. It's been busy on the table, off the table, uh, anywhere around the table you could find, really. It's been busy. So, yeah, a packed episode to come, I think. We should do about 20 minutes, I reckon. We, <laughs> we might get to 25. Who knows? Another tournament in the books, Phil. That has to be our, our top line. And another top winner in the books, Judd Trump has won the English Open. And, well, he did it, didn't he, with two almighty comebacks. 5-2 down to John Higgins in the semi-finals, winning 6-5. And then 7-3 behind against Zhang Ander in the final before winning six frames in a row for a 9-7 victory, uh, a 24th ranking event success uh, for the prolific Trump. And we will reflect on that success shortly. But before that... Phil, we must introduce to listeners our special guest presenter for this new episode. And it's somebody who has a truly engaging way with words. This man hails from Canada, where he fell in love with snooker as a young boy, a love and passion that he's rediscovered in the past decade. His voice has become a familiar one to snooker fans everywhere, as he's a regular commentator for tournaments in North America, including the US Women's Open in Seattle. He truly is a man of many talents, with his time as a freelance artist, seeing him work in photography, painting, sculpture, film and television. But it's his words of wisdom about the game we all love that we're most interested to hear today. Phil and I extend a very warm talking snooker welcome to David Burney. David, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to see you both as well. Good to be in good company with the three beardos. I think we can do a good movie on that. <laughs> We've got one of those bloody guest presenters that's funny in us, Phil. We're not, oh, no, it's a nightmare. I it? always say never get a guest that's annoying. <laughs> David, as we do with all our as we do with all our guest presenters, we do ask, what first gave you the love of this game? How much tape do you have? 
Well, uh, a while back, I, uh, I come originally from, from Oakville, Ontario, Canada, which is just outside of Toronto. And way back in 1983, this musician Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir made this record in Hamilton, a neighboring city, called Apollo Atmospheres and Soundtracks. Now, we'll get back to that. Uh, a few years later, uh, the sports network in Canada started showing this game called Snooker. I had no idea what it was. My dad knew a bit about it, so he knew enough to say, you know, you have to red and then black, or red and color, red and color. And, you know, that was the time when Stephen Hendry was just potting them off the lampshade, so it was quite engaging to watch. Uh, but I do remember the next day on the school playground asking friends, did you see this Snooker thing that was on TV last night? They're like, yeah. And I felt myself more mimicking the English commentators because you English people have a different way than talking than us, the different accents. <laughs> uh, so that was the real joy that I got from Snooker, actually, uh, is imitating the commentators. Didn't realize at the time, but it was actually John Pullman that I was doing the impersonation of on that schoolyard. Uh, but then it kind of just disappeared. Um, it kind of went off uh, that network. You know, maybe they just didn't have the numbers. So I continued on with my life. Um, nine ball was a little bit there. The the pool game over here in North America watched a little bit of it, but still it wasn't getting the viewership that uh, we would like. And then uh, I fell in love with the world of film and that's where my direction was going to go for schooling afterwards. And I found this uh, movie called Traffic by Steven Soderbergh. And at the end, this great song, an ending, an ascent by Brian Eno. I'd found out this song. So I was like, wow, that's a fantastic song. And so things go along. I found myself out in Vancouver. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was a Brian Eno artist talk in 2013. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to check it out. I, I love his music. I want to hear about his process. And so he talked in great length about that. It was thrilling. And then at one point, he says, I'm not really an athlete, but I do enjoy a game of snooker from time to time. Boom. The light bulb went <laughs> off in my head. And I'm like, I got to source this back out. I remember watching it as a kid and really enjoyed it. So found a room that had a table, started playing. And then I'm like, there's got to be something in Canada that does snooker. you know. Uh, so I just typed in a Google search of Snooker Canada. And Snooker Canada's website came about. And I saw that they had a Ted Wormworth tournament. Now that I know Ted Wormworth was quite a champion of the game of snooker in BC. Uh, but it was a 55 and plus. Uh, I don't know if the viewers can hear my age and my voice, but uh, I'm not 55 or plus just yet. <laughs> and um, so I went there and kind of saw the scene and then as well kept in touch with uh, Snooker Canada, what they were doing. And then they said they had the BC Open coming up. So I entered that, seeing what it's all about. And boom, I went undefeated in coin tosses. I lost every match I played in. <laughs> <laughs> I still maintained the love for it and still kept on looking at Snooker Canada's website, see what's going on. And then at one point, they said, do you fancy yourself as a commentator? And I've had a lot of people come up to me and ask me if I'm on radio, um, you know, your voice, you should be doing something with your voice. So I decided, okay, well, I, I'll call Snooker Canada headquarters to, you know, I'm not going to email them my voice. I'm going to call them up. And that's when I talked to Patrick Gigi, who was the head of Snooker Canada. And he says, you sound great. Is it possible you can do a test for us? I'm like, sure. So I took down a match from YouTube, 
put some commentary together, send it off, and they were thrilled with it. And I went out to Montreal in 2016 to do my first Richler Cup. And now to fully complete the story, the next year we were in Burlington, Ontario. And on Friday night, I was ready to do some commentary. I believe it was between Charlie Brown and Floyd Ziegler, two really good Canadian amateur players. And as I'm sitting there getting ready to go, I look over in the rows of seats and what do I see? Daniel Lenoir sitting there. I couldn't believe it. So I had time before the match. I went over, introduced, we started talking, and I was just like a kid in the candy shop talking about how Hib and Eno made that record so many years ago. And it was just amazing. So that's kind of, that's the David Burney story of snooker. <laughs> Absolutely sensational. That was great. And what sort of level? I mean, we we played our annual game recently, and our, our level is nothing to shout about. What Whereabouts were you on the, on the table yourself? Uh, I'm here and there, you know, a lot of people, sometimes you always ask, what's your high break? And sometimes I turn around and say minus four, <laughs> but actually no, a uh, hundred away from brilliance. I have had a 47 break and, oh, um, that's good. but uh, you know, that didn't happen all the time, but you know what? A few years ago, cause everyone comes into the game and they want to be, you know, potting balls. That's, you know, the fun part of it. But little do you know, when you let the devil come in and you see, you know, the yellow and the, the green kind of close together. You're like, ooh, that's a nice little wall to get behind. I'm going to, you know, really give my opponent the gears. When that opened up, now I'm like, oh, my game is coming more complete. So, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. If you're making breaks of 47, let's never have a transatlantic trophy match with David Burney, <laughs> Bill Hay. It's only ever it's only ever going to go one. We do we creep into the twenty? I feel like we we might have crept into the twenties once or twice. There's certainly been a four yeah. or five balls in a row job, but that's uh, but we're doing cartwheels, aren't we? I mean, we're doing the Dennis Taylor, you know, <laughs> exactly yeah. the old waggling finger <laughs> here in the air if we're getting twenty up. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's nothing to shout about, but we still shout about it anyway. That's about our level. Um, but yeah, um, and then I mean, Nick mentioned in the intro um, your various skills outside of uh, snooker commentary, and we were just talking before we we started recording your your day job. Just tell us a bit about what your work and your passions elsewhere. Uh, well, you know, uh, obviously to pay the bills, I work as a set dresser in the film industry out here uh, in Vancouver. It's been a bit uh, tough, obviously, with the writers and actors strike. Uh, fortunate enough, I am a bachelor and I don't have children, so it hasn't been that hard. Um, but it's on the road to come back. But So that's what I would do. And a set dresser pretty much is, you know, they have a room in the studio. It's a blank room, but the script says it's a police office. So we bring in the desks, the chairs, put up the cork board with the bulletins of the wanted posters, just give the scene what it needs to see. Uh, and then on the other side, uh... oh no, it, it, he was mid-sentence and you went there, David. Cut, but you you returned. Sorry, we missed the last the end of that last point. Carry on, sir. Oh, I don't know if it was highly important, but <laughs> <laughs> the last point. <laughs> uh, I think just the artist point is that's uh, that's a real passion as well outside, and it's just catching an idea. And when you find that idea, if you've got the right tools, you just go in love with it. Like, uh, as you guys saw back in Sheffield, I had my 35 millimeter film cameras. I like to take photography and stuff like that. And was so fortunate that the great Matt Payne 
all those camera guys that were shooting the event, uh, he came and talked to me. He goes, you're shooting 35? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's amazing. Why don't you grab your stuff and come with me? So they took me and put me on top of the commentating booth at the Crucible Theater and got some great angles looking down at the table. It was just fantastic. And I got a little shop here, so I'm able to do some woodworking um, as uh, that women's trophy. I don't know if you saw the past U.S. women's. That was some of my handiwork. Mm -hmm. And I've just finished off uh, one for our Canadian-American border battle that hopefully will be starting soon. And if we need one for a transatlantic, let me know, or maybe the media tournament in Sheffield. I'm happy to build. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be very prestigious. Well, I thought I was a re reasonable achiever in life until I, I met David Burney. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, what don't you do? What, what a CV. Quite extraordinary. And I'll know that we'll talk a lot more about those elements of your life as well as snooker coming up. But no, it's, it's genuinely great to have you on. And, and you are uh, a compelling voice. And as others have said, you've got a really uh, beautifully rich voice, but sort of made for the wireless and, and, and today made for this podcast. Phil, let's talk English Open snooker uh, first, shall we? Because Judd Trump is a tournament winner again. It's been a fair while since his last ranking tournament, but he did it, didn't he, with those two comebacks, particularly in the final. He never quite looked down and out because it's Judd, he's such a big player. And there's that crucial thing where Zhang needed two, not one. It was a bit different, I think, when playing these two frames. But you have to say... He came back so, so well, didn't he, in the semi and the final. It just showed what others have been saying, that we often talk about the flamboyance of Judd, but that battling side of his, that tenacity, may be a bit undersold, but boy, did he show it. Yeah, definitely. He's, well, he's not been at his best for ages, and there's just been flashes of um, his best when it's needed to happen, and that was summed it up last week in Brentwood, because that's exactly what happened against John and against the, Zhang in the, in the final. Um, and to be fair, it was more than a flash. <laughs> it was uh, a good fair few frames. Winning those last six in the final was took some doing. Um, Zhang was great. It was great all week. And yeah, I mean, Judd Ju did win it, but Zhang sort of tailed off a bit at the end, but it's understandable. Yeah, it's, uh, it was his first final. It had been his first semi-final. Um, so he'd done brilliantly to get there. But um, yeah, fair play to Judd. You know, we, we talk about how been a quiet time for him but you know he's the current masters champion that's another ranking event uh on the, on the cv he'll be at the top of order of merits this season the one year list will be in all those tournaments already so just the standards we hold him to isn't it but um he's not doing too badly well we hold them to immense standards we really do as you say you know he's still been doing all right even though it's by his terms relatively fallow certainly in terms of winning events but you know this will give him a great amount of confidence for some big events coming up now what i imagine like most snooker people you're a big fan of, of judd trump david he, he he is some star isn't he oh he is definitely uh just yeah the shots that he comes up with um are just out of this world uh a little unfortunate obviously with his surname in North America. We won't get into that too much. It's a snooker podcast, not a political one. Um, but it, it's it's just great to see now, like, you know, that anybody can win these tournaments. You know, this, there's not a sure bet, it seems. Absolutely. Do you know, I live in mortal fear of, um, mortal fear is probably too strong, but certainly some fear of getting the two Trumps mixed up on, on, on social media. So I'll have 
Donald, you know, beating Jack Lazowski to reach the semi-final and, <laughs> and Judd winning a sort of re- a Republican primary type thing. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a big worry. I have to be careful when I, when I do that, David. <laughs> but anyway, no, so you're what is uh, Judd going to make Britain great again? <laughs> oh, oh, don't, don't. I, I said it then, but let's not go down that road because then it will, <laughs> it will get in my head even more. The chances of it happening increase that little bit more. But um, Bill, we should go back, shouldn't we? Because we recorded our last episode last Wednesday as the second round came to an end. So we'll kind of carry on the story from there. And top of the list, and I cannot believe this still even now, surely from that period before the last 16, we'll come to the last 16 in more detail, top of the list has to be the Graham Dot-Ricky Warden match. I mean, quite incredible. We put a screenshot up on our Twitter feed, which has so far had nearly 80,000 views. I'm not surprised because it was... Graham Dot 3 nil up, 70 nil up, 70 points to nil up in the fourth frame. Warden already needing a snooker and Graham having a chance to put another red. And that's the moment we put a screenshot up. He'd lost the match. I mean, Phil, we see some things in this sport all the time, but that is, I mean, that's beyond jaws of defeat there. That, that was just quite startling, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, how many frames do you see from 70 behind? Just that one frame. Pretty rare, you know, 50s and 60s, you'll see reasonably regularly, but 70 seems like an awful lot. Um, and then to obviously win the next three. Um, and, you know, it wasn't against some sort of kid who bottled it. It's Graham Dot. Um, so, yeah, Ricky Walton did say um, it was the best comeback of his career. I mean, people say, you know, it's only a best of seven, but bloody hell still, that was quite incredible stuff. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a particularly tricky shot. He missed, actually, Graham. It's just that one that one shot would have ended it. But... Um, yeah, remarkable. And then he went and I don't know if he was always planning to pull out of Wuhan, but he, he, he hasn't gone to Wuhan. And I don't know if it was just because that defeat was such, <laughs> such a horrible kick in the stomach he built. I don't know if that what did it, but um, yeah, amazing things. It really was. I mean, I think the cue was kind of near the cushion, but, but for, the, for, the, for the next red. But I guess it shows, David, doesn't it, that we often talk that cliche of, you know, you get one ball over the line, but some of you need two or three to be sure because the, the guy can always get snookers. This is kind of one of the ultimate examples of that. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and just to pipe in about Ricky, he's a top-notch fellow. I can't believe he's done a couple exhibitions here in Vancouver and did some yeah. in Seattle. Yeah. And he's got a great fan base now here in the, uh, I guess we kind of call it Pacific Northwest, but I always joke with uh, Mike Dominguez uh, who's the owner and operator of Ox Billiards down there in Seattle. Well, and if you look at America geographically, it's the Pacific Northwest, but Vancouver geographically in Canada, wouldn't it be Pacific Southwest? Mm-hmm. But then it all goes about, because if you say Pacific Southwest, you're probably in Argentina. So I don't know. <laughs> geography gets confusing, especially geography on a snooker table. <laughs> <laughs> well, the geography of the snooker table was quite amazing in that match. We should say Ronnie O'Sullivan beat Jackson Page. We just recorded before that match, 4-1 in round two, and then C2IHE 4-2 in round three. Judd Trump had another earlier comeback, beating Jimmy Robertson 4-3 uh, in the third round. He was 3-2 behind and came back late on. Uh, more third round lines, really good win for Elliot Slesser, beating Jack Lazowski 4-3. Hey, Gwen Quang, who we're seeing a fair bit of lately, getting some really good wins. He beat Hossein Bafai at 4-3, breaks of 112 and 80 from Hay. He really has had as you know really good period lately. And Matthew Silk beating Mark Allen 4-2. Uh, really played well in that match, Silk. Breaks of 79, 114, and 72. 
So, Alan, not always at the races early on in, the, in this season, Phil, but that, that's that holding them to high standards thing, uh, I'm sure. But a couple of good wins for Ronnie there. But yeah, Heikwe Quang beating Hossein Vafoy. That's a cracking victory. Yeah, he's had some great wins already. Him and Liu Hong Yu, uh, first seasons on tour for those two. And they both look like they're really dangerous already. They've both already beaten quite a few uh, really good players. So, um, good news uh, to see more youngsters coming through straight away because. You know, we see a lot of people coming on and struggle to win a game or two over the season, and they've already racked up a fair few. So, yeah, very, very impressive. Um, I spoke to Mark in Mark Allen in uh, in Brentwood. Um, he, he's he's been open about he's sort of struggling technically with a few things. He had a bit of a, a longer break than he normally would over the summer because he had such a busy season last time round. Um, and his, his coach that he used to work with sadly died over the summer, and he also used to work with Terry Griffiths, who isn't working in coaching anymore really. Um, so he, he was saying he feels a bit lost as he sort of he feels a bit of a couple of glitches in his game that he's trying to fix and he hasn't got anyone to go to. So um, yeah, interesting time for him as he's just trying to rediscover that brilliant form he had last season. He's, he's not quite there and he knows he's not. Um, but I'm sure it'll click in at some point. But yeah, just not quite at the minute. Yeah, and of course it, the funny thing is he he wasn't always at brilliant levels last season. He would say that, but he was still getting to latter stages, sometimes even winning events, doing that sort of B game, almost Selby-esque thing. So, you know, he's the kind of guy that can still do that. So I'm sure, you know, his good, his, you know, his good form will, will return soon. Well, I should say, Phil, um, I was there for the last 16 matches. I did go along on uh, Thursday night. Brings a new meaning to the word unprepossessing, that venue, I think. They shouldn't, they, they shouldn't bother with words in the dictionary anymore. You look up, the word unprepossessed is the picture of Brentwood Leisure Centre. I mean, you know, it it's um it, it did the job. The crowds were very good, I have to say. The noisiest chairs I've ever known in my life. I mean, absolute crash bang wallop. I mean, ev- every time you got out of them, they were just and there was lots of, you know, in a serious m- moment, there was lots of movement from the crowd. I mean, four tables in operation, it's hard to avoid to some extent. But I have to say, you know, uh, and I actually dutifully went as a punter, actually paid my £10 to do so. Very good value. So I, I wouldn't always be among crowds. So I, I wouldn't like to say, certainly compared to other people, how much it would compare across the season. But I did think it was noisy. I mean, Ronnie that night played Zhang Andu. I know Ronnie probably let it get in his head a bit a bit too much, but he really got visibly annoyed. I think it was in the fourth frame. And he, he kind of tailed off after that. But it was a bit of a, a bit of a din. I mean, again, Phil, you saw the logistics there. Kind of hard to avoid, but let's be clear as well. For the players, it is a bit annoying. Yeah, it, it was loud, wasn't it? And yeah, they just got those four tables in a row. So people want to go out after a frame is finished on one. So yeah, it is difficult. Um, but it has seen, it did seem sort of worse than other tournaments, I think, there. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, but it's good that you, yeah, because you say a lot of these tournaments we go to, you don't sit in where the crowd sits. So it's good to get the genuine experience in there. Mm. So was it was it hard to stop the chairs making noise at all? Well, it, to be brutally honest, people could have been a bit more careful with them. I mean, you could have every time you, know, you gently push them up, but as soon as you sort of move them, they just whack back, and it was it was just hard to explain in a way. But they just really were the whole place sort of let, lent itself to, to what you don't want from a snooker venue, which was sort of noise. If you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. everything made noise there, which didn't help, but I didn't, I just, I didn't go to Cheltenham. So I really can't compare. People said it wasn't an issue there at all. Different sort of layout. Of course, everywhere's got a different layout. I think it's more spacious. Generally, everything was quite tight in Brentwood. That's mm. the other point. Everyone was so packed in. So 
it, it was an issue, I have to say, in, in many ways. But in terms of getting, you know, people in through the door, it was, you know, a success. Big crowds, big part of the, you know, snooker world, Essex, of course, we know a lot of passion there. So I love chatting to people there and so much sort of, you know, genuine love of the game among the people. And I really did enjoy that element of it. So, of course, David, we, we go to so many different venues. They can't all be extra special. But, you know, same for these players. They have to put up with these kind of noises. I mean, they'd rather just play in a perfect snooker atmosphere every time. But I guess, you know, it, the tour, like like the rest of life, is imperfect. I think so, yeah. Like, you just, uh, you're a professional, so you kind of have to play with all those different things that come into play. I know, obviously, we have amateur players over here that would love to play on great tables, but, you, you know, we don't have the structure right now of having all the fine stuff. There are some people that are making the strides, like Mike, as I said, down in Seattle, getting really top-notch tables. Um, but a good professional will adapt to those situations. And hopefully people are listening. And this isn't like downright when you're talking about those chairs. It's not a complete slag. It's just constructive criticism. We're just trying to work our way to get the best possible. And if we're still doing that, that's what we're doing. Well, I'm trying to do in Vancouver, just trying to keep tournaments getting to a higher and higher standard. And if we just keep going that, I think that's a great path to be on. Yeah, a lot of wisdom there. Can't argue with any of that. And I should tell you some of the results from that night. Uh, John Higgins was brilliant. Yeah, mm. I was. I, I, that was the table I was on. I was. I was on the John Higgins table, followed by Ding and Luca. And John Higgins was, was wonderful. Beat Oliver Lyons four uh, one. Break of one hundred and forty five in the opening frame. Our friend Joe Gibney said it was nice of John to 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 put that on for me, Phil. And uh, I sort of made a little joke, sort of wrote to him and said, do you mind just getting a massive break for me? He said, well, no problem. Oh, oh, <laughs> lovely. Very nice touch. Uh, follow that up with breaks of 71, 92 and 132. I mean, nothing Ollie could really do about it. He won one frame, but he was barely in the others. It was just excellence from Higgins. Judd Trump beat one Sidron 4-2. Uh, Martin O'Donnell beat Hei Gokwang 4-2. Uh, real old grind, Matthew Selt, Ricky Warden. That was hard work actually it was a couple of tables along but i could see it was a real old grind self winning it 4-3 zhang under beat ronnie o'sullivan 4-2 as a match to ronnie played pretty well early on but it, it it sounds a cliche but he generally i think did let that get in his head a bit and seemed to half lose interest if i'm honest in the match zhang also did play well had to be has to said you know it takes two to tango he did play well Ding against Luke, I thought was a poor match. I mean, I, I heard Cholton wasn't up to much. This wasn't up to much. Loads of mistakes from both. But again, this weird thing where Luke has never beaten Ding. Bizarre. Ding won it 4-3. Uh, Xiao Yulong beat Ali Carter 4-1. And then the final match, Phil, which I have to say, almost everybody left before, because frankly, people have to get home for one reason. It's practical. And it started at 11pm and finished at gone 1am. And it was Liu Hongyu beating Mark Williams 4-3. Um, Snooker's always been a late-night sport, Phil. And I think I honestly think, I won't ask you this, because it's, it's not right to ask you, because really, I know the answer is you really can't do anything about it. And if you started putting them off, what do you do? It's the next day. It's kind of unfortunate, isn't it? That, that's the way I'll frame it. For the players involved, it's always going to be a bit of a sort of like they've got the short straw that night, eh? Oh, 100%. It's unfortunate for everyone. I mean, like you say, the fans... They'll want. They'll have wanted to see as much as they possibly could, but um, you don't want to be stranded in Brentwood. You know, <laughs> it's great. That it's connected on the old Elizabeth line now, isn't it? But that won't be running at half past one or whatever time you could get to there. No. Um, 
So, yeah, unless you're going to try and get Mark Williams to give you a lift home, then you're a bit stuck for, uh, for watching the end of that. And, and yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the scheduling and everything, I and mean, this isn't really the issue you're talking about, but the odds of them performing at their best standard possible if you're starting a match at 10 past 11 p.m. Uh, are pretty slim. So, yeah, like you say, not sure what you can do about it in that, those formats. You've just got to wait for the, the match before it to finish, haven't you? Um, so it is tricky, but, yeah, far from ideal, obviously. Well, that could be a maverick topic for the future. Matches you've waited so long to see, you asked the player to give you a lift home. I like that. <laughs> Have you ever asked a player to give you a lift home? Well, I actually got one of the last Elizabeth Line Rattlers home. Got all the way back to my place, obviously, here in East London. And it was just time for me to watch the end on telly. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought, what, what a sport. I watched the decider on the telly. And, uh, yeah, I always think I always like to link it to other sort of parts of the media that Radio Ford handed over to the World Service. We had the anthem. It was late, late night, but snooker was still going on. I mean, I, I'm a night owl myself, David, so I, I kind of get it. And, you know, uh, it doesn't really bother me too much, but it's late, isn't it? Sport at gone 1am is late. Yeah, I guess not many sports go to 1am uh, over here in Vancouver. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, a late night drama on the snooker table is probably uh, afternoon tea for us, I guess, if I'll quote a post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one thing about the travel that comes to mind when you talk about that, I have sometimes some players are a bit can get a bit frustrated with the tournaments that I put on. They're like, oh, you know, we're starting at 10 a.m. The doors are opening at 9.30 a.m. And I have to travel like, you know, an hour or so to get here. I'm like, well, you can ring up our fellow uh, countryman, Cliff Thorburn, and ask him about his commute. He had to fly from Toronto to England to play in tournaments. So. Oh. <laughs> That's a different commute. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice trail. We've got a Cliff Thorburn question uh, uh, among the many questions we got in for you later. We'll talk about the great Cliff. But yes, he... he, he well, I mean, you know, let's be clear here. And Neil Robertson's banned this drum over the years, hasn't he, Phil Haig? But... You know, he thinks we don't always give enough credit to the overseas players. He's probably right. We probably don't. That they have difficulties far beyond the British guys, eh? Oh, yeah. There's loads of things. You know, it's either uproot your life and move it over to an entirely different country or or face those commutes that David just mentioned. Uh, neither is ideal necessarily. Um, and, yeah, uh, I think a lot of the time they'll hear UK players whinging about stuff and you know i imagine a lot of the overseas players think you don't know where you're born mate um but yeah <laughs> um yeah yeah it's, it, i think the things that sort of neil and ding and all sorts of other players have achieved you know they they get lots of extra bonus points for, for what they've been through to do it and so tough for the, the asian players as well because it's such a change mm. at least the canadians the australians the language barrier isn't that difficult you know, we're all still in the Commonwealth, I guess. So there's some familiarity, but uh, the ones that have to jump up uh, from China, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, that's a real definitely investment for sure. And kudos to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, very good way of summing it up. Uh, they definitely face challenges far beyond, you know, the guys that ha hail from the, the UK. Let's move on to the quarterfinals then. And, uh, well, there was a comfortable win for John Higgins. Excellent again against Martin O'Donnell, winning 5-1. Breaks of 67, 82, 77 and 70 from, from Higgins. Uh, Judge Trump very good as well, uh, beating Matt Selt 5-1. Two centuries there from Trump. It was Lou Hong Yu, 5, Ding Jun Wee, 2. 
uh, Lou into his first ranking event semi-final. Really good effort from him. Doing so out of sorts. And I have to say, we should say while we get the chance, and I saw quite a bit of this in, in the Luca match I saw live. Huge visible annoyance from from Ding Phil. This is a trend that we've seen recently. Whack the table. And he just was... I, I've rarely seen that kind of thing from Ding, really. He played a lot better after that, so he must have got something out of the system against, <laughs> against Luca. But I didn't see a lot of the Lou match, but from comments I saw, he was, again, he was visibly frustrated. He just, he just can't reach those levels. And I suppose he's not just, you know, very good thing. He, he's actually a wonderful player, isn't he? He's an absolutely brilliant player. He's never been world champion, but he's still one of the, the best players in a way you say that's ever played the game. So to not to not reach those levels for him, it just seems so infuriating. And actually, even as, as a fan and, and writer and lover of the game, Phil, it, it, it's actually quite sad to watch. Yeah, because he clearly is so, is so upset. I, I think I mentioned it last week because I'd spoke to him uh, on the Monday, oh, yeah. um, and I mentioned that to him. He seemed how visibly frustrated he is because even when he's ahead in games, um, he looks like he's in, in a terrible mood. There was that game in Shanghai; he was falling up on Seizure Hui, and he was sort of head in his hands in his chair. So, and you know, it's hard to watch players like that because he's watching someone going through uh, a tough time and. Um, yeah, it's as simple as that, really. He, he's not reaching the levels he knows he is capable of. Um, and he's still in the quarterfinal there, so, you know, his his, yeah. his below-par levels aren't too bad. But, yeah, you sort of forget how many ranking events. It's, he's, it's up, it's about 14, isn't it? Yeah. And, he's, yeah. and he's not an old man. Um, he could, uh, he could if he can hit top form again, he could double that. Um, but at the minute, it doesn't look like that at all. But um, he'll keep plugging away. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's not, it's not nice to watch, and that, that's for any player, really. You don't want to see someone going through sort of mental turmoil out there, and that, that's what it looks like sometimes. Yeah, you're right to mention that uh, and, and that total appearance because he's he's still ninth, actually. Sean Murphy's been getting nearer and nearer, so he could well be tenth soon. The way Sean's going, but he's about the only one. I mean, obviously there are exceptions: Davis and stop playing, and Hendry or whatever. But most of the other ones are moving up slightly on that on that table. He's sort of static. He's won one or two, but he's not moving. And yet he's still ninth in the history of ranking yeah. events. So that kind of shows, you know, how, how impressive he's been historically and generally over his career, but he can't find those levels right at the moment. And uh, to complete the last eight, Zhang and to beat Xiao Yulong 5-4, a break of 18 that decided to win it from Zhang uh, in his first ranking semi-final. But of course, he went a step further. The semis, what a story, Phil. Uh, Judd Trump, six, John Higgins, five. Higgins, five, two up. Uh, hell of a comeback uh, from Trump. Breaks of 50, 88, 111, and 68 to win it. If we were fully lazy, Phil, we could just play the, a recording of about five or six past episodes here. I mean, we're just going to say the same thing. I mean, you, you, we messaged each other and you were saying Trump genuinely played well. I mean, he, he really did. John had a couple of chances, didn't he? The, the frame, what was it, the... One when it was 5-2, so the eighth frame. But after that, Trump sort of took it away from him. And I have to say, I'm sure like everyone else watching it, it was fully in my thoughts from 5-2 onwards. This could happen again. It was awful viewing in a way, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it feels like so many times. Um, and actually, the ones that I spring to mind, you know, there are a good couple of years ago, you know, that Tour Championship final against Neil Robertson. That's 2021, wasn't it? Um so yeah, it's been happening for a while now, and yeah, they they feel like it's just a the holding pattern. You know, this is exactly what happened in Shanghai against Ronnie. Um, 
this one shouldn't be too hard to take. Because as you say, he did have a chance to win sort of 6-2, I think. That was it. But he, he barely got a shot the last three frames. Um, Trump just clicked into gear and was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, it's and that interview did it afterwards. Mm. I mean, it, whenever you speak to him a bit afterward, a bit later, he says he's all right, he's always had painful defeats through his career, but clearly at the time, horrible to take. Mm. Um, and he must just... He must feel unlucky because, you know, obviously Judd Trump could do that, but... To, to just burst into that sort of form out of nowhere, really. Um, yeah, what can you do? But um, again, like we said a couple of times on it, um, you know, it's a semi-final. He's, he's, he's been doing this for the last few years, sort of falling at semi-finals or finals, but winning probably more matches than anyone else on the tour because mm. he's, he's consistently getting that far. So he's still one of the best players in the world, but he just needs to win one of them and he needs to do it as quickly as possible because... It is a problem as much as he sort of brushed it off when I spoke to him about it in Essex and said, oh, I've had these kind of defeats all my career. It clearly is a problem. Um, but yeah, it, I'm sure it won't last forever. It can't possibly. Exactly. And you're right to bring up that interview. Very emotional with, with, with Alan McManus. I mean, he's done a few. I remember one at the English I was at and Milton Keynes and it, it's so raw with John when he's just had a bad moment. It, he's one of those guys it, there's no hiding it, and it's it's quite painful to watch, actually. I mean, David, put on your commentator's hat on. You must have seen matches where you can almost sense it. Maybe it's because of a player's own history, or maybe you can just almost feel it in the room. Ah, one guy's coming back here, and the guy in front, it, there are those little signs, aren't there? They get more and more kind of almost those little agitations, and it, it's sort of painful to watch in a way, but also, I guess, one of the things that makes this sport so compelling for all of us. Definitely. Yep. You can start to see things and then those little agitations start to balloon and it just, you can just see that player falling down that cliff and just can't grab a tree branch or anything to hold on to come back in. <laughs> it's, it's tough to see, but it creates the drama that we love to see because sometimes we think, oh, a player is done and dusted. But then like last year with Luca and Sia, uh, that green that he twitched on, mm-hmm. that, was a big green there and then Luca just took that and took that match and went to the final. We know that the rest is history. Yeah. And that's another great gentleman, Luca Bassell. He was over here in Seattle, did an exhibition in the summer. What a stand-up chap he is. Really taking it all in stride, had time for everybody, was very gracious and encouraging and wanting to hear people's stories and stuff like that. It's just a great sight to see. Tell us about that some more. Was he was he very good with the with the fans over there, I imagine he he would have been knowing him. Definitely, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of fun. There was ten frames. He took on ten players from the community uh, in Seattle. Uh, trying to remember if there were there were some uh, Canadians and Vancouverites that came down. I don't I can't remember if they actually had a frame with him, but uh, yeah, just so gracious. And then when that was done, everyone was getting a picture, getting an autograph, chatting. He actually autographed a a painting I had done. I'm doing a little series of uh, snooker themed you know have all the colored balls behind a cue ball and then they're all called snookered but then there's the red ball so that'd be a touching ball right we'll call that one that one so uh my hope is possibly to get all the all world champions uh to sign at least one of them so i've got luca to start cliff's not too far away well he's he's on the other side of canada but he, he comes out to vancouver from time to time uh but we are definitely trying to get more and more 
players to come do exhibitions uh, in Canada and the U.S. because that's going to inspire and encourage people and stuff like that to pick up the queue. Yeah, you've, you've had a few out there already. You mentioned Ricky earlier. Judd's been out there, obviously. And who else has been over there? Uh, and Luca came. Uh, they did have Alison Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also had some uh, pool players. Can't remember who Mike has had down there. Uh, but we're always in talks. I think Stephen Wong, who runs Embassy Billiards down in Los Angeles, where the last U.S. Nationals was, he is going to have Tepchai Unun come mm-hmm. over uh, around Christmas time. So uh, we're kind of reaching out to Stephen up here in Vancouver to see if Tepchai wants to do a little tour, but hey, it's around the holiday season, so he might not have time. But it's good to see that uh, you know players are wanting to come over and do what they need to do. I do remember once seeing an article uh, that Ken Doherty wrote. He's like, I'd love to see Australia in Vancouver. So I'm like, well, let's get on the Twitter. Hey, Ken, do you need a tour guide? I need snooker help. So let's, uh, so, uh, and actually he knows, uh, a fellow player out here named Charlie Brown, mm-hmm. him and Jason Ferguson. They all played in Iceland way back in 89, I think, the world under 21s. So wow. it's interesting all the history and pathways and all that stuff. So good stuff all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. And you're right. When you get involved with snooker clubs, wherever they are in the world, you, you always quickly find those links, don't you? There's always like, oh, yes, that and that person. And yes, you knew that person. And then you made, you played in that tournament that year. I love that kind of thing about the game. It, you know, a bit of a cliche to talk about a snooker family, but there is that part of it. Because I went to Iceland last year and just in, in, in the clubs there in Reykjavik, there were so many sort of stories about past players, people that have played some of these players, former pros. And I love all that. It's really a special part of our game. Well, the other semi final, Zhang Ander six, Liu Hong Yu two. Well, interesting thing about that match was there's a number of really close frames early on, but Zhang won them all. So in a way, the scoreline could have been closer, but uh, uh, Zhang did claim victory to get him into his first ranking final, where we've already discussed Judd Trump winning 9-7 against Zhang uh, to win the title. So listen, Judd's getting most of the headline, Phil, but as you suggested at the top, it's a great week for Zhang, isn't it? He'll build on this so much great confidence going forward such a big step to get in the first final and let's let's be clear to get that big lead against job when, when you've never been at that stage before in front of that crowd it's a bloody good effort yeah he's always been a really unpredictable player um so his first year on tour when he was 18 he got to the crucible uh so he won four qualifying matches against some really good players Ricky Walden was one actually Higginson, John Parrott, an aging John Parrott there. Um, and then he and he lost 10 9 to Stephen Hendry in the in the opening round. Um, so he, he showed a lot of promise straight away and then really fulfilled it. But he had that strange stat where he, he'd got to the crucible three times, but he'd never been in the top 64 in the world rankings, which takes some doing because you get a lot of ranking points to get to the crucible. So he obviously wasn't doing much else. Um, then I had the odd quarter final here and there, but yeah, but he's always seemed to got good wins but they're only of ever singular wins um or a couple of wins in a tournament but he's clearly very good um but it's taken time to show it and um yeah maybe this time of the year this season uh players are a lot more distracted than they have been in other seasons recently maybe with um you know tournaments a lot of tournaments back on these exhibitions that we're going to talk about you know players have other things have a lot on their minds and it might be a bit more open for unexpected uh winners or deep runs at least and uh yeah Zhang was the first example of that this season and uh yeah he's a hard worker in the Victoria Academy 
practicing away all hours with all the guys there so um yeah it was nice to see his interview with uh, rachel afterwards seemed like a lovely lovely bloke uh yeah and he, that's when he said judd just came back like a monster he couldn't do anything about it but yeah no congratulations to him uh absolutely no shame in losing the final judd uh and an excellent week yeah, I thought he came over brilliantly in that interview with Rachel as well. And yeah, to, to, to Liu Hongyu to re- for reaching the semis and for Shang An to get into the final, really, really notable efforts there. And congratulations again to Judd Trump for winning the tournament. Well, I'm conscious we've done quite a long time already for We've got loads to get through, but I do want to read out Liz Blackburn because she's such a a, uh, a nice character, I think, on Twitter. And she's always sent, saying so many nice things about us. Well, she's written to us here for the first time and says, Hi, Nick and Phil. Firstly, thank you for such a great podcast. It's a must listen and has been great company. I have been a long time snooker fan with my first memory being the 1985 World Final. Not because of the black, though. I was only five. I remember it because I was allowed to stay up late. My dad was sat in the big chair and I was snuggled with my granddad on the settee. And that's a very special memory. I always loved watching the balls as a kid. Dad is a huge sports fan, and we had everything on. The Grand Prix, test matches, rugby, you name it. If there was sport on one of those four channels, it was on four channels. Those were the days, my (laughs) goodness. But I really took to the snooker. And when Hendry came along and just blasted the balls into the pockets, I was hooked and fell deeply for the game. Sorry for the long-winded backstory. This podcast was founded on long-winded backstories, Phil. We won't have any other backstories. and. I have never been to the snooker live, Liz says, and none of my friends enjoy the sport. I was never keen on going on my own. However, things in life happen and you learn life is short and precious. Well, I'm into that. So I took a week off work and booked to go Monday to the Friday of the English Open. My experience there is what has prompted this email. As I write this, it's only Tuesday evening, so I still have a few sessions left to enjoy. But I've spent two wonderful days there so far. Firstly, I would like to sound, say how amazing the WST security guys are who deal with people going to their seats between frames and sessions. They are so helpful and kind. This, however, is one of my main observations. Ronnie complained about people walking about during play. I have to say this was something I noticed and did surprise me. One of the security guys told me it's always worse on Ronnie days as people come to see him and aren't necessarily snooker fans. So unfortunately, this is kind of a result of his own success. But I do think he has a point. When his game finished, poor John Higgins had to stop playing as the crowd just up and left, walking straight past his table. It was unbelievable. And to be honest, felt a bit disrespectful. The poor guys on tables three and four seem to get the worst of this behaviour as people just stroll by as they are taking shots. Brackets, this is by no means everyone. Surely it would make more sense that every table has its own entrance exit point so people can leave in between frames and at the end of matches without causing so much commotion. I understand it's probably due to space and getting more seats in and as a result, more money. But it's very difficult to get in and out when four tables are playing. The venues want to supply people with drinks and profit from that. But unfortunately, with that comes people needing toilet breaks. This is where the security guards try security guys, sorry, try their best to get people in and out. But I really felt for the players. I just feel for multi-table venues, surely this needs to be looked at. And I was eager to hear your opinions on this matter. And to end on a positive note, 
I would just like to say how lovely the WST staff were to me, how approachable and lovely the players I met were. A special mention for Neil Robertson, who even through his disappointment took the time for a selfie. We truly are so lucky to have such an accessible sport with such amazing characters in it. I can't think of another that is so interactive with its fans. I'm sure it's not perfect, but my experience so far has been amazing and we are so quick to criticise these days I wanted to throw out some positivity. I think I saw Phil today, but he was walking fast with his head down to the car park, so I didn't want to say hi. Once again, I'm going to say what a fantastic job you guys do on the pod. The snooker content out there is fab, and I love listening to them all. I hope you both continue to enjoy the snooker season. Wishing you all the best, Liz. Delightful email, Liz. Lovely to hear from you. Are you not doing that headphones on, head down, I can't read the public thing now, Phil, are you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I certainly didn't know I was if I was, but now if, if you see me just now do anything, I would love to say hello. Um, uh, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, that was a lovely email, and uh, it's great to hear that. Um, you know, snooker can sometimes be just something that you like yourself, and not necessarily. I haven't got loads of my close mates um, are really to snooker, really. Um, so it's nice that someone's bit the bullet and said, "Right, I'm just going to go and watch it," and had a great time because uh, I'm sure. If you did meet anyone you met there, it was very friendly. Um, so, yeah, that is lovely to hear. Indeed it was. And maybe, David, we should ask this, you now. We, we obviously you know, love meeting you at the Crucible. I mean, as a snooker person, most people think the Crucible is an amazingly special pilgrimage. What was your experience at Sheffield like? Wonderful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. That was uh, This past year was the second time I went over the the previous year, as that was the uh, 147th year. Uh, that snooker had been invented so 2022 world championship you know just putting that out there (laughs) that's how nutty us snooker people are (laughs) uh but you know you it's just the snooker's there and you meet people and that's the common interest and you'll just get along and you'll hear all different walks of life what many people different do and you know obviously um what's his name is it brendan from crawley my Who's the guy with the baby blue shirts? Is it Brendan? He was on your podcast in Sheffield. Uh, Brian. Past year. Brian, thank you. Sorry, Brian. Did not kill you, Brendan. But, <laughs> you know, Brian, you you see him. He's always there, um, you know, close up. And you see him on the telly over here in Vancouver. And then you go over and, you know, chat with him. And, you know, he loves a snooker. He loves a snooker. And you just get along. It feels like he's an old friend that you haven't seen in a while. So. <laughs> You're mixing up your... You're mixing up your Brendan Coopers and your Brian Wrights there, I think. Uh, a, 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 com- a common mistake to make, two fine snooker. It must uh, be jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> we were very proud of our Brian Wright episode, weren't we, actually? He he was um, incredibly, um, very movingly open on here. So we, and we spoke to Brian live in Sheffield, so that's an episode you can listen to uh, back in the spring. Uh, but yeah, no, it's lovely to hear your views about about Sheffield there, David. We'll no doubt ask you a lot more about your love of this game coming up. But that, I think we should put the English Open to bed now and say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf and our special guest presenter, David Burney. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Phil, let's move on then. Well, I have to say, I've, I've uh, certainly had uh, uh, some feedback uh, myself uh, following some comments on here and on social media about uh, about scheduling. Now, I, I admit I could have probably expressed my thoughts a little more softly o- o- on Twitter. I'm probably still a bit tired and emotional from the Ryder Cup, Phil. I wonder how long I'm using that excuse for. Probably till <laughs> at least Christmas. But I do still think the same way. I do think the optics weren't great all the timing um, about players complaining. But I did delve a little bit deeper into my thoughts and thought, well, I wonder why I've been so strong on this one. And I do think it's triggered me a little bit because of the pandemic. I think that was such a bad, desperate time, really. And I think I was quite surprised, maybe naively so, that the minute Chinese events came back, players are now complaining already about the scheduling. And I, I do think it just caught me by surprise. But listen, people haven't been shy in telling me that actually it isn't quite good enough at the moment. and you know, it's right that p- people are calling it out. And, of course, it has meant withdrawals from this week's Wuhan Open, Phil. And there's no doubt that at the moment, with events, UK, China, China, UK, back-to-back, is causing some disquiet in the game. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, yeah, obviously, no one was complaining about the amount of tournaments. Um, but... It- I think even when they were announced, I think they came out of the Crucible, didn't they? As soon as that calendar came out, people said, oh, that looks sticky. <laughs> one tournament starting on, in Wuhan on Monday when, when one finished in Essex on the Sunday. Yeah, those, as we said, um, those, those morning games at 3, 3 a.m. on a Monday. So it literally is sort of four hours later that the tournament starts. Um, so, yeah, players, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an issue for the, the, the guys involved. Um, yeah, we it's not an issue for fans, is it? But um yeah, these guys are going to a tournament hoping to do really well, hoping to be there on Sunday lifting the trophy. Um, but that means they can't do anything about the travel until uh until they're out of the tournament. And that means they're even if they do really well one week, that um their first round game will be delayed. But at best, I think Judd's playing Wednesday morning UK time. So he'll get there sort of at best sort of late Monday night, maybe Tuesday morning. And then, you know, you're unlikely to be anywhere near your best. So, you know, it, I think the the answer is uh, it's obviously better that these tournaments are on than not, obviously. Um, everyone was complaining even more about the lack of tournaments than they are about scheduling. Um, and we hope that probably this was sort of put together and there weren't many options other than just sort of putting them back to back to back. 
um, when they first come on. So maybe next season there will be at least, you know, a couple of days between tournaments would be ideal. But um, I was speaking to Mark Allen about it and he was saying it, it's not just a post-COVID issue. And I looked at the, um, what season was that? 27, 2018, I think. And that was same, the same sort of jetting about between China and the UK and around the UK. Um, and yeah, it, it's often been the way. So yeah, I mean, as I say, you'd rather have the tournaments on than not. Um, and you got to, I guess the players have just got to look at it positively. Um, you know, Neil Robertson was speaking out about it before even the English Open started. And I spoke to Mark Selby in Brentwood and they were very strong about how bad it was. And then they duly lost their next matches because I think it was probably just on their mind really strongly and understandably. But I guess the guys who just sort of try and plot it out and just crack on will have the better chance. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously not ideal. Um, there's no way that Sunday in Essex, Monday in Wuhan could be ideal for any job, really. Um, and professional sportsmen, certainly not. Yeah, I didn't quite... I mean, I get... I can see why Mark's saying it, but I don't know a single person that's suggesting it was a post-COVID thing. I mean, it was the same before. I think we everyone knows it was the same before. I mean... I don't. My view is that a snooker season has only last a number of months historically. I've heard people say, well, can't we have a very short championship league and have some of these in the summer? Well, probably not, because that's never really been part of the snooker season traditionally. I mean, things could change. But also, I don't I, I doubt these tournaments want want though want to be on then when when interest in snooker is generally not as strong. Um, you know, it's generally not as appealing uh, appealing a time. People aren't generally, you know, uh, around as much in life, certainly in this part of the world then. So, uh, David, let me pass over to you, actually, for your view on this. Do, do, you, do you have a lot of sympathy for the players with his scheduling problems? You know, sometimes I think they might need to take a step back and just remind that you are a snooker player. And that's what you wanted to do since a young boy or girl. Uh, and you're able to fulfill that dream. Like if you didn't like it so much, you could go off and, I don't know, be a plumber. However, I hear guiding water is quite a thing to do. Um, so, but, you know, if you didn't like it, there's other things you can do. And yes, sometimes that scheduling is tough. Obviously, as you say, Phil, yeah, Essex on Sunday night and then Wuhan on Monday morning. That's definitely a, a tough thing. Um, Maybe somehow they could organize it that it's, you know, as the game continues to grow globally, because, yeah, we'd love to have an event over here in North America, maybe even two, one in Canada, one in the U.S. Uh, if we have these just little legs, I guess, or like mini kind of tours that they, you know, they're going over to Wuhan, then they're also playing in Beijing or whichever, how you have it. So that's what I'm kind of feeling on that one. Yeah. Yeah, that all makes sense, uh, but it's certainly an, you know an issue that exercising a lot of minds in the game right now. And but you know, I don't, I won't keep banging this drum. But the, the last couple of seasons, couple of years, the early autumns have been dreadful. We've had absolutely no events. You know, we had to fill in gaps. We've had players going to America to play pool tournaments. That's how bad it's been. I don't mean that disparage you to pool tournaments. That's a fine game, another Q sport. But that's how desperately short of snooker we've been. There's been nothing. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I'm not suggesting players don't don't realise this is much better than nothing. Of course they do. But I just think the timing is, is a little odd, if I'm honest. But listen, I, practically, I, I do I do get that they're, 
you know, that is causing some disquiet. And I do, you know, I do appreciate that. But actually, to, just to say, Phil, it's not probably the right time to say to add to the sort of general air of discontent, if I can put it like that. We do have news, don't we, of players deciding to play in China for big money this month uh, rather than in a tour event, namely the Northern Ireland Open. This story has been all over social media over the last couple of days and has been dutifully followed up by our friend and colleague Hector Nunns. And I'm now reading from one of Hector's stories. Uh, Snooker's biggest stars, including Mark Selby and John Higgins, are leading a mutiny after refusing to play in Northern Ireland in favour of a money-spinning event in China. World champion Luca Purcell, Ali Carter and Thai professional Tepchai Anu have also shunned this month's Northern Ireland Open to play in Macau. The World Snooker Tour, which oversees the sport's official competitions, have threatened them with legal action unless they play for the Alex Higgins Trophy in Belfast between October 22nd and 29th. World number one, Ronnie O'Sullivan, himself playing in a Shanghai exhibition this month, has backed the Macau Five, mm. describing WST stance as a B-O-L-L-O-C-K-S. We've never been a swearing podcast, Phil. I was saying earlier, unless Rob Walker's on here, in which case it, <laughs> it becomes a, a barroom saloon kind of podcast. <laughs> Trying to scare players like that, Ronnie says. Lawyers representing the players claim the threats from WST are baseless because they haven't entered the tournament, so haven't pulled out of any WST events and are heading to Macau in their own time. Experts say the tournament in Belfast has been decimated due to the game's biggest stars opting for an exhibition in Macau. Qualifying for the Northern Ireland Open also clashes with another event in Shanghai due to it be attended by Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump, Mark Williams and others. The tensions lay bare the crisis at the heart of the sport as tour events battle against the huge sums of cash offered to stars just to turn up and play in China. Uh, many of the players involved are furious over what they see as heavy-handed tactics. Part organiser Victoria Shi, owner of a Sheffield Academy, has also been threatened with action. Selby, who has suffered badly with mental health issues in recent years, is understood to have requested he receive no further correspondence on the matter. This comes with another highly paid unofficial event featuring O'Sullivan, Judd Trump, Mark Williams, Jack Lisowski and Ding Junhui looming even sooner this month in Shanghai. The Shanghai exhibition takes place during the Northern Ireland Open qualifying event. Uh, top six scene players involved could still appear at the final stages in Belfast, uh, given their opening rounds are held over. But WST were also unhappy with big names playing in this event, believing it will leave the qualifiers in the shade. They originally banned the players from taking part before softening their stance. And they issued similarly threatening letters to players, insisting they keep all involvement in Shanghai quiet, demanding a social media and news blackout and participation in Belfast, for which only Williams is confirmed. The player power situation represents a huge challenge for the governing body going forward with big name stars openly flouting their authority and lawyers no doubt licking their lips. Well, I think that's the normal thing for lawyers, isn't it? Let's be clear. <laughs> I mean, very naive to think that players would have a social media and news blackout about event. I think it's fair to say. But generally, I mean, plenty to reflect on, obviously, Phil. And even a line later on from Hector, actually, there's been some quotes, a quote here, hush talk of a potential boycott of January's Masters. I mean, that really would be 
a highly dramatic development. So it's clearly a fast-moving situation, uh, uh, Phil, and it feels like it could just be maybe the start of, of something here with players, frankly, wanting to boost their coffers uh, and WST obviously pretty anxious uh, for them not to do so at the expense of their tournaments. I guess it's just a case of watch this space because, as they say, Phil, in our business, this story's clearly got legs, as I say, it's a bit of a battle maybe of wills now at the moment and could potentially have lawyers further down the road. But clearly, as I say, a fast-moving situation and to some extent a dramatic one. Yeah, because it's nothing we've experienced um, recently at least um, because China's not been that on the cards. Um, it's interesting uh, and, you know, a crisis seems strong. Obviously, you know, if that that's, goes on, people are boycotting the Masters and it becomes a regular problem then that would be crisis time but um i feel like it sort of landed at the right time in the calendar where uh, the international championships obviously coming up which is a huge money event the the northern Ireland open is not nearly as big money wise um so players are sort of happy to go and prepare for international there and um, rack up some exhibition money while they're doing it um but yeah i don't I, yeah it's that situation them sort of wst threatening letters and emails and potential legal action i don't i think the players are right that um they can do what they want really um as long as these events aren't streamed or televised um they're just playing exhibitions if they're if they haven't entered northern ireland i'm not sure what wst can stop them to do to stop them doing that um especially it seemed very strange that they were trying to stop them playing in the one during the qualifiers when the top 60 guys weren't even meant, aren't even playing in that um because you would expect, I'm not sure what all their plans are. Judd said he probably wouldn't play Northern Ireland, but Ronnie tends to play all these home nation events because they're the Eurosport. So I would imagine he was going to play in Shanghai and then come back to play in Belfast. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting development. Um, seems like the players are going to get what they want. I'm not sure what WSC can do about it. Um, and I'm not sure when the Northern Ireland draw is coming out. It must be quite soon. Um, but there's going to be some great chances for some uh, lower-ranked players to do well there because there's going to be a lot of big names missing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have to say, you mentioned there about you know the, the event taking place during qualifying and this line about leaving the qualifiers in the shade. I mean, it does. I mean, what shade? I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're so little covered anyway, and there's so little attention on qualifying a lot of the time. Then you know, I don't, I, I can't see how I can quite buy that line. But let's be clear. Northern Ireland Open has become a brilliant event on the calendar, you know, for, for venue, location, so many reasons. Every edition has been brilliant. So it is a blow to the quality of that tournament and to the prestige of that tournament, isn't it? And, and, and that is, to that reason, there is a kind of feeling of shame about it because we will miss those names, won't we? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not a good look for the tour, is it? The, um, they've got a what has become a big tournament on the tour, you know, not the biggest, but a, a notable prestigious one that we always compliment about the venue. And uh, there's been some really memorable matches. And if, if <laughs> a number of the best players are choosing to play exhibitions instead of playing in that, you know, it looks bad. Of course it does. Um, but yeah. And yeah, as fans, obviously it's no good <laughs> because as you said, we won't be able to stream or watch this exhibition over there. So we'll be watching a, um, do I, say, do I want to say watered down? You know, there are still going to be a lot of great players in Belfast. Mm. But, yeah, not as good, isn't it? There's going to be a number of players missing. So, yeah, it's um, it's a blow 
for organisers, for fans. Um, it's just not a blow for the players who will earn more money, more guaranteed money anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are at liberty to do what they want, though, I think, uh, as, as much as WST have tried to sort of suggest that they're not. I mean, they, they clearly do have some contractual obligations, but I think most of them would describe themselves as freelancers, wouldn't they, really? A little bit like golf and tennis players. And I wonder how much their heads are turned, David, by what, you know, I mean, they're very different sports, and I'm doing that thing now I sometimes <laughs> warn against. that They're much bigger sports, frankly, and the sums of money involved in things like golf are just ridiculous and astronomical compared to snooker. But I wonder, in principle, things like we're seeing with this live breakaway tour, I know they're not quite comparable but just in principle terms in terms of sort of backing away from what is traditionally the main tour and the main events to playing other things i wonder how much their heads are turning and saying look i'm not going to play snooker forever why shouldn't i earn a bit of extra cash you know when i'm over in that part of the world anyway ultimately you know it's human nature isn't it wanting to earn a few extra quid or maybe quite a lot of extra quid in this case yeah i would say so you know we've got to do a lot of things in this world to be successful um at least it's starting a conversation now, probably. Things are going to get going uh, that WST needs to look at if there's going to be these high-prized exhibitions that players are going to get, you know, is lured the right word to use to come into because obviously way back there wasn't as many tour or tournaments on the, the year card. Uh, so players did have to go off and do the exhibitions in the UK. You know, here of the great Kirk Stevens, just to throw some maple leaf into this podcast. Uh, <laughs> when he was over there, there wasn't, you know, as many tournaments as there are now, and he had to go up and down the country and do exhibitions to earn a living and stuff. So hopefully, like, with this news, I'm not too familiar a lot. I haven't read a lot of the headlines. As I said to you guys earlier, we've ex been experiencing our Canadian Thanksgiving, so it's been quite busy this weekend with family and food and celebrations. Uh, so I don't know too much about the story, but I think at least it's... There, now a conversation can be at least started because now players are going in, in different directions and hopefully the governing body can recognize it and put strong heads together and come up with a solution that hopefully everybody wins. I mean, it's funny you're talking about, you know, Kirk Stevens back in the day because, you know, going back and going back even further than that, like before our time, players have always played in exhibitions, you know, and I mean, historically, that was the, the way they, not the only way, but the, nearly the only way they made money. I'm, I'm sure WST will say, well, times are very different now. We've put on enough events for players to make a living. Well, that's not quite true. A lot of them don't quite make a brilliant living, but generally a lot of the top ones do. But so exhibitions, in a way, is is kind of nothing new. And there are, you know, there's a lot of months in the year and in the season, and you know, players are still going to play the vast majority, but we'll see. I mean, I, I just wonder how often this might come up now, Phil. I mean, is it going to be something that we see every couple of months, or is it, I mean, it's, you know, very difficult question for any of us to answer. We're just sort of throwing questions in the air and answers in the air a little bit. Or or can it, you know, will it be something that ultimately is quite rare and, you know, in time WST come to a scenario where they kind of manage it and, and players do it from time to time and the story goes away more. It's hard to kind of say, isn't it? Yeah, we don't know, do we? I mean, I would expect that to be the case. You know, all the professionals are very likely to carry on playing the vast majority of tournaments on the calendar um certainly the biggest ones and if they miss some you know it, it's as i said before it's a bad look in some ways but it's a thriving sport in other ways if top professionals are able to take tournaments off um and you know there's a lot of lower ranked players who aren't going to be invited to big money chinese exhibitions 
who aren't going to be too disappointed to see a number of world champions or uh, major title winners not involved in certain events and they've got a better chance. So we might, you know, develop more stars that way. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something we're just going to have to wait and see what happens um, from Belfast onwards. Uh, yeah, we don't know. It's going to be one to assess at the end of the season, I think. But important to say, of course, that, you know, as we often say, there are so many good players in this sport that, whoever we miss in Belfast and there will be a miss there will be a number of top top players playing so you know once we get into the tournament we'll no doubt focus on the ones that are there type thing and there'll, there'll be many 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 top players well Phil you you, you are going to talk us through the opening moments the opening day in fact of the Wuhan Open the, the tour has moved uh, to China some pullouts as we know but uh, still many top players and Ronnie O'Sullivan claiming a victory on day one, perhaps the the top headline, as Ronnie always tends to be. But uh, plenty of leading names have, have already uh, been in action. Yeah, busy day one. Um, no major shocks, really. I think Wu Yizzi beat Marco Fu early on. Um, that was a sort of notable result, but not a massive shot. Aaron Hill got a great 5-1 win over Ben Wollaston. That was very impressive. Possibly the performance of the first day, maybe, was Tom Ford, who uh, had Cao Yipeng, who we spoke about last week, has been playing very well. Uh, Ford uh, won 5-1, but breaks a 67, 127, 86, 138 in the first four frames. That's not too bad, is it? Um, wins for Mark Allen. Uh, Ali Carter beat Bayou Lu. She looked good. She made a 90-odd uh, early on to go 1-1. Looked very impressive. Um, and, yeah, as you say, Ronnie beat Ken Doherty. Pretty comfortably 5-1. I watched quite a lot of Ding Junhui against Ashley Hugel. Ding coming through 5-3, but Ashley looked good there. And... CJ Hui was playing a wild card called Wang Xingzhong, who I saw on I saw this on social media, but I didn't see it very far anywhere. But that Wang at 12 years old. Uh, and he cut won a couple of frames off C and looked quite good. Um so uh, I'm gonna take that for fact. Um I wouldn't probably write it in the metro, but on here I'll take it for fact. <laughs> that he was 12 years old and looked very impressive. So good effort from him. Uh, but yeah, no major, major shocks on first day, but um, a, a good, busy start to it. Uh, tournament looked good there. Um, decent crowds in. Hard to tell that there are no setups. So sometimes it looks quite full when you're watching the action and then it zooms out and it, it's not that massive, really. But um, yeah, crowds look decent now. Um, I saw Ashley Hugel actually tweeting, even though he just lost, saying how he was so, saying the tour should all be in China. He was so impressed with it. Uh, the venues and the crowds and everything. So, yeah, it must be going down well over there. Um, so, yeah, good start. Yeah, indeed. And we should say that for a full list of uh, results you should uh, and scorelines, you should go to uh, snooker.org. That tournament will continue uh, throughout the week. Uh, a good early start for, for Ronnie. I always think it's the polite thing to do to get uh, most people's views on Ronnie David. I mean, we, how much does he... As, as he enhanced your snooker-loving life over the years? It's frustrating because he makes the game very easy. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he definitely is a, a delight to watch. Um, but obviously people... Uh, one thing going back, and this kind of with Ronnie, but with Luca, is people... this big The big story, Luca's not practicing. Luca's not practicing. Well, in Seattle, he was telling us when he was a youngster, he you couldn't get him away from the snooker table. He was in there like 12 hours a day. So he, he definitely put in the, the time. And I don't think you're going to find your game at a big tournament. You're just kind of warming up the arm with the practice. Uh, but yeah, Ronnie has just been 
a force, a fan favorite, has kind of definitely put uh, the game on the map. Uh, for people that don't know, when he was over here in North America doing his show, American Hustlers, that was a really positive thing. Um, and, you know, he, he, love or hate him and stuff like that, he has things he wants to say, and he says what he wants to say. Uh, how, how, how can you blame him and stuff like that? So I think keep on doing what he's doing. Um, I'm more of a Stephen Hendry fan because he was the first that brought me in. So hopefully they can stay at seven seven, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> what, what do you make of Hendry's coming back at, 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 at his age in recent times? I think good for him. You know why not? Um, obviously, you know, you know, he had that competitive energy. You know, he 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 had that mark that he wanted to beat Davis and Reader, and he wanted to be a seven times world champion so he could be the best of the best and then you know when that happens it kind of takes away a little bit like i could say as an artist speaking here you want to do a project sometimes because you're going into the unknown you don't know you have an idea of what you're doing but you don't know everything and then once you've done it and completed it you're like oh i did that i don't want to do that again i want to do something new uh, and i I think he's now embracing who he is, Stephen Hendry, that is, because uh, his YouTube channel is fantastic. Really great info. And, uh, you know, if we had a time machine or anything like that to go back in time, would people think that Stephen Hendry, of all people, would be engaging and having a YouTube channel? <laughs> people probably go, you're crazy. So uh, it's nice to see. And hopefully, you know, hopefully you can just, is he going to win an eighth world championship? Who knows? But uh it's good to see that he's still around in the game that you know he loves and has been a part of for so many years. I bet you a full pack of double deckers he doesn't win an eighth world title. Um, <laughs> but, but we'll see. Do you have double deckers in Canada? I'm not sure. World's best chocolate bar, but I don't, I don't know if it's everywhere. Maybe uh, not. Decker. I thought you were talking about a hamburger or something like that. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> not. It's a delicious chocolate bar. Let's move on right. and talk about the... Australian Women's Open, Phil. We've got the final coming up. Uh, having a look at some of the results here. It's an Ami Kamani against On Yi final coming up at the Mounties in Sydney. And looking through some of the results here, some really interesting ones at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, Jessica Woods beating Lau Yuk Fan 3 0. Uh, Ami Kamani seeing of Christine Firth 3 0. It was On Yi 3, Lily Meldrum 0. And Mink Nurture at three, Carly Tate nil. And then semi-finals, a 4-0 win for Ami Kamani over Mink Nurture at, a very good win, and a 4-0 win for On Yi over uh, Jessica Woods. So uh, we look forward to that final. Uh, I would have thought On Yi will start as favourite, but uh, interesting to see. And, 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 and yeah, some, a few new names cropping up there. And uh, another tournament that seems to be going down well on the women's tour. We keep saying how thriving it is. And uh, perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll have half an eye on that final, which will be early viewing for us in the UK, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, you may well have heard the result of that by the time you've listened to this, because it's coming up um, Monday night as uh, as we're recording. But yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of tenil results there, where I think there's sort of the stronger players um, are playing to the local players. But the, the remarkable one, yeah, Amy Kamani beating Mink 4-0 in, in the semis, a couple of breaks in there as well, a 15 and 73 um, so that is, yeah, a quite a ring uh, win, and yeah, um, as you say, Onyi will go in his favourite, but 
come on, he's uh, going to be feeling very confident after doing that to the former world champion. So, yeah, we, we said a few times, you know, there's sort of a handful of players that sort of compete for all the titles. And the more that can be added to that, the better. So, um, Amy Kamani is not the only Indian player. There's another one she won the World Cup with. Um, so, yeah, m- the, the more competitors for the title, the better. So, good to see. Very much so. And that's a nice segue. So I'll talk to you, uh, David, quite a bit about the women's game, particularly the US Women's Open. In, 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 a, in a couple of moments' time, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf and our special guest presenter, David Burney. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. David, we now must turn much more to you, sir, and talk about snooker in Canada and the United States. And it may be a, a general one first for me. Would you say it's in a relatively healthy state? Is it growing? Is it is it not growing quickly enough for you? How do you sum it up? Growing, for sure. It is definitely growing. There's a lot of great people that are enjoying the game, uh, doing good work. Obviously, the t- tough part with Canada and the US, we are such massive countries compared to England. The size is just tough. So mostly we're in you know regional, like when I throw the British Columbia Open in February, there will be some players from Washington, maybe Washington State, that is, that's just the southern part of us and then alberta which is a province in canada to the east but not many coming from quebec or ontario like other um, provinces and states so that that makes it a bit tricky but there's a lot of wonderful people the thing is obviously it used to be really big because you know cliff and kirk and bill were over there like the 1982 or three australian open kirk bill and cliff and doug mountjoy made up the quarterfinals in an event so we do have a lot of people that knew of the game there. They're still playing. So we do have the old Lord still, you know, pushing balls around. <laughs> and there are some younger ones coming in. Like I'm actually throwing a BC Open qualifier event this coming weekend. That's October 14th. Uh, and I've got three teenagers in the tournament. So it's great to see there, obviously, as well, Eric Lee, who has the Star Snooker Academy here uh, in Richmond, which is just a neighboring city to Vancouver. Uh, he has uh, set up a junior camp, so like 16 and under. So the future is looking bright, and this great invention called the Internet has helped out so much because people can see it. You know, As I said on that little global discussion I had when I was in Sheffield with um, our friend from Belgium and China that Rob was uh, moderating on 
when I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm involved in the game of snooker, or just say snooker, they're like, well, what's that all about? Is it a dirty party trick you're playing or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> so now that people can see it, and that's how I got inspired, as I said earlier, you know, I saw it on the Sports Network here in Canada, and that inspired. So hopefully just more and more people are aware. And it was a really interesting story about the U.S. Open this year down in Seattle as it was the final day and the semifinals had finished but we had a break until the final so a bunch of us went for lunch and actually mink was joining us for lunch and we went to a thai restaurant so we placed our orders and waiting for our food and then all of a sudden someone that ran the restaurant recognized who mink was and got the entire staff came out like the cooks everyone just wanted to get in a picture with her because they knew who she was so that's a good thing to see that the game is growing globally that's amazing. What a great story. Absolutely. And I mean, Phil, you, I'm sure you want to ask some, some more stuff about snooker over there. I mean, I want to hear a bit more about the Ox Billiards Club, actually. We, we heard about it earlier. You mentioned Mike. I, I love seeing pictures and videos from there. It just looks delightful, so plush. Is it? Is it as beautiful inside as it looks? Yeah, I enjoy it thoroughly. Like, it's got that industrial feel, like, you know, there's big pieces of wood and pipe and and stuff like that and uh it's a friendly environment mike has got it set up nicely there that it's a 24 hours a day club but you know your members have certain fobs or whatever that they, they can buzz themselves in and just play whenever they want uh it's in a thriving part of seattle the capitol hill region and he's done good things because uh he got hit pretty hard i was down there in on February 29th, 2020, it was the grand opening of Bays, a beautiful club, uh, four-star tables, right on a main level, had windows so people walking by could see it, and everyone was feeling great after that opening. We had a border battle to start it off. We brought two Canadians down. We did stream the events, lots of great feedback, and then two weeks later, the world shut down, <laughs> and COVID hit us all. Um, and it just seems like uh, uh, the... Uh, landlords down in that part of Seattle weren't as friendly with people. So Mike kind of had to regroup and he found Ox and he's got snooker tables there. And he's also got the pool tables and just people are thoroughly enjoying making the trip down there. So we're looking forward to getting back there. I think the Seattle open will be in mid March. So that'll be good fun. How common would it be to find a snooker table or even better a snooker club, but somewhere to play snooker, around that part of the world um would there be one in a city or is that would that be as good as it gets yeah it all depends i guess um now in richmond where i throw a lot of the tournaments that i put on there's seven tables in there this star academy club there's three there um in vancouver there's a few spots a lot of the old servicemen's clubs Maybe uh, workmen clubs that you guys have, the the legions the, for the ex-military people. That's where you'll find the snooker tables. And I know I've been a part of one for some years, and that's where I usually go to play because it's a nice five-minute walk away. I'm very fortunate. Um, and I'm always stressing that we should keep these snooker tables because you can go to any bar and you can be on a pool table, but we have a, a distinct uh, difference than the rest that we have a snooker table as when I threw a PC open a few years ago, uh, talking with Brady Golden, as you guys might, might know who Brady Golden was. He was over there on the pro tour, I think in the late 80s, early 90s. 
And talking with him, he lives uh, more in the interior part of uh, British Columbia. So it's about a three-hour drive from Vancouver. And he has to drive about an hour, hour and a half to find a table. So in the big, like Toronto has uh, the Corner Bank, which is a great club run by Jim White and John White. Uh, They have lots of tables there as well. Patrick Kiki, who runs Snooker Canada, he's got a room that he's just opened up in Montreal. So obviously in the bigger cities, you're going to find access to it. But if you're in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, it might be tough to find one in in that city. but it's it's growing and i you know i don't mean to you know i'm a humble guy uh but i have seen the change since i've been jumping and creating tournaments for players to play in and just creating a vibe it definitely is going in the right direction so it's good to see fantastic and uh, have you heard any inklings or rumors about if there could ever be a pro event coming invitation or anything like that i haven't heard that but it's certainly uh, on the table uh, i think people would love to do that because uh, it's one thing obviously most of us just see it on the internet screens or the tv screens over here we don't see it live i've been fortunate enough to have gone to sheffield as well to london to see the masters back in 2018 but it is definitely to see it in person is a whole different experience mm-hmm. and if we can bring that over to, you know, as if it's Vancouver or if it's down in Seattle or Toronto or New York, if we can bring that over, hopefully, you know, some gentleman or woman that uh, has a youngster that says, come along and check this out. And that youngster gets inspired. Then we've done a good job. So hopefully, I think, I think as it continues to grow, things will happen. Mm-hmm. And just a matter of dollar sense and cents, as we always know, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing. Yes, I want to put on a tournament. Great. How much money do you have? None right now, but (laughs) 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 we're working on it. Well, I mentioned the women's game. I want to find out a bit more about the US Women's Open. That's, I think, where most of us, certainly over this side of the pond, um, know you from when we first heard you, certainly at length, come and take on that tournament. I mean, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by a lot of things, particularly the work you do there. I mean, I think all commentators of snooker, have to work for a long time, matches are long, days are long, multiple sessions. But you seem to be on morning, noon and night. I mean, you you have these huge, enormous long sections, but you've always saying something interesting and new and, you know, there's a real effervescence about you. I mean, you you have long old days, but you seem to relish it so much. Well, Nick, I will pick up your tab in Sheffield next year. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Well, it's true. You know, you just, you, you come for the love of it. And when it's love, it's not work. You really, uh, it's lots of fun. It's lots, it just, there's something fun about coming into the room and you never know what you're going to see. You know, there's so many different variations that can happen in a frame of snookers that it's just fun. And I I appreciate you with those kind words because sometimes they, they can be long days. And hopefully as we continue to grow, we can get more people uh, behind the scenes helping out and stuff like that. Like Christian Younger is down in Seattle. He's doing a great job with the, the production work. And he jumps on and does some commentary with me from time to time. And also I've worked with the David Putty from time to time as well in Canada. So there are people that are starting to work up. And hopefully uh, we can just continue to keep going and spread the good gospel and more and more people will get into it. 
because it, it it's a niche sport you know like we have the big sports in north america you have your hockey mm. Mm. baseball basketball american football is snooker going to take over one of those i don't think so but it's just going to be another avenue like that uh, kids can jump into how much of a problem is is the fact that pool is so big maybe more of a, more of a question about the states and canada i mean i you know i been to Canada, United States numerous times throughout my life. And pool is definitely more of a prevalent thing than snooker. You see that quite a lot, pool halls and what. Is that a problem? Are people just in that mindset they can't get into a bigger table or is not not really? No, I don't think it's – I think, like, obviously when I was a youngster and finding, like, a, a pool room, you know, you weren't sure what that big table was way back in the morning <laughs> stuff like that. You know, like, it's, it, it looks intimidating. So I think more people, as we, you know, get people into it, they're able to see it and instruct them about this game because they might be like, well, this pool is obviously a challenge to itself, but they might be looking for a new challenge. And that's where Snooker could provide that. So I don't think there's too much of a battle in between. Um, I think that's people probably, uh, you know, We'll maybe start in pool, but then they'll be like, hey, you know, there's actually better things in life, and that's called the game of snooker. Fantastic. I just want to go on, Phil. Now, I was going to move on to our listeners' questions, but if you want to do one more, go around ahead. Well, not particularly. I was going to ask you a very quite a boring one, actually, but but but, <laughs> but, 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 but <laughs> I bet you can't wait now, David, to answer this, and the listeners can't wait to hear it. But I, I was going to find. Is there a place you can go to that, that, that to find out, say, well, how, how do you start? If you like snooping at North America, I'll say, how do you start? Is there a website? Sorry for my ignorance, there might well be. Where do, where do you know? How do you find out where the nearest snooker table is to you? That's a good point. Uh, yes, on Snooker Canada's website, that's snookercanada.ca, they do have a, a room finder or whatever. You can look at a map of Canada. And you can find in your province where there is. And I think PAPSA, the Pan-American Billiards and Snooker Association that deals with all the Americas, North, Central, and South, they have the same kind of thing. So if you're looking for a table, finding going on those websites, and hopefully you'll be able to find a table near you and they just get out there and get on it and watch the game as well, get inspired. And don't get frustrated because these players put in years and years of practice. So when you make a, a break of eight, it's not that bad. <laughs> when you see these guys knocking in tons and they're not even moving. So <laughs> have you have you ever been I know I know I'm not I'm not sort of mocking North American geography. I know you live nowhere near New York, but I've heard the club in New York is exceptional. Have you ever been there? I have not been there. Uh, actually, our good friend Mike Dominguez is down there. He's doing some work there because that was Ahmad Ali's uh, yes. home club. And now Ahmad's actually on the pro tour over there or where you guys are. Uh, I've heard it's very nice, uh, very posh, very you know presentable. And I know I've got some critics on the stream sometimes when we do say that there is that image of the pool room. The smoke-filled place, dimly lit, dark and stuff like that. So I'm going to start to try and get away from that and be like, no, these rooms, they're not like that anymore. That was the past. Let's talk about the now. These mm. places are welcoming people of all shapes and sizes and just want to come out, have fun. It's a family environment, and it's a, a good way to spend a few hours. As I preach to anyone that's you know talking about getting their youngsters in, it's a great sport 
because it teaches them sportsmanship. Uh, it teaches them they got to be on time. Obviously, if they have scheduled matches, they've got to <laughs> you know, respect their opponents and all that stuff. So it's good. You know, as much as not everyone is going to become a professional snooker player, but if you learn it as a kid, you're going to learn good life lessons that will treat you better later in life. Yeah, absolutely. And Ahmad Ali came out of the seniors with a with a fully black cue to Metallica, so yeah, I was immediately a fan of Ahmad. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of good things about that club in New York, so I'd love to visit one day. Uh, but yeah, Nick, we'll, we've got a lot of listener questions in with David, so I guess we should get on to those. Uh, this is from Phil Riding. Hi, David. Uh, I really enjoyed your commentary on the Women's Tour event in Seattle. I loved your enthusiasm for the game. Are there any plans to do further commentary on the women's game or any other tournaments that us in the UK can listen to? The women's tour in particular often lacks commentary, as do the qualifiers for the main tour. You'd be a great addition to these events. Thanks, Phil. Wow, Phil, my pocketbook is weakening. Jeez, i got to buy a lot of people lunch <laughs> these days. Um, <laughs> well, there is. Uh, I have Matt Hewitt and Diana Schuler are doing wonderful things with world snooker women's world women's snooker and i have discussed with them obviously you know i'm willing to help out with commentary obviously they're jumping into some newer territories like last year when they had the world championships in thailand they said it it, it was a bit tricky the language barrier and stuff like that um so hopefully with these places now that they're set where they're going that they can be like, okay, we're going to stream it. And then we can reach out to our friend, David Burney, and he can do commentary because obviously probably the budget isn't there to fly me to Thailand, Australia, back mm -hmm. over to Britain to do all these events live. But I do have a setup at my house that I can tune in and provide the commentary because I agree that sometimes, you know, snooker without commentary can be a bit dry. So I appreciate those kind words, Phil. And we are, you know, talking a little bit with the women's uh, group to possibly have something up here in Vancouver. So it's obviously dollars and cents, but it would be a nice thing because I think even maybe Stephen Wong down at NPC Billiards in LA. So it might be a little three, three stop tour for the women's in the future, but you know, cross our fingers, knock on wood, hopefully things can happen. Wow. That would be very cool. Wow. Knock on wood. Is that what you said? A slight difference from touch wood. I'm touching wood. I like that. Slight variation. Um, well, so, we're Canadian. Exactly. <laughs> Simon Weber next. I saw an online discussion a while ago where somebody asked a Canadian guy what the snooker is like in Canada. And the reply was that snooker is still widely played, but is viewed as an older man's game with little or no talent coming through. Is this correct? A little bit. Yes. Uh, as I alluded to before, there's a lot of people that probably, you know, snooker was here before the pool, obviously being a, a British game. So a lot of more older people got into that game. And especially, you know, when Cliff and Kirk and Bill and Brady and all those guys, you know, you can see your fellow country person doing well in a sport that just only inspires you to jump in and wanting to play. So unfortunately, we don't have, you know, a Canadian on the tour right now. If we did, that would be monumental. I think the interest really would grow. Uh, having a World Cup would be fantastic if, mm -hmm. you know, we could get a Canadian team in there as well as Olympics. I know they've been trying to get the Olympics for a long time, and that just gives such a, a global feel to it. 
So we do see some young players, and they're more of uh, new citizens, I guess, could you say, coming maybe from uh, India or Pakistan or China, you know, because there's such rich history over there. And maybe they get better exposure. Uh, obviously, Ding opened the door in China, and probably now it's on the TV all the time, whereas in Canada, it's a bit tough to really find out live snooker. You really have to be a big fan. You can't be a casual fan and just, you know, flipping through the channels and then all of a sudden the snooker is on. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know if you met Luke G. Williams at, at the Crucible. Did you meet him there? The author? Who was that? Luke, Luke G. G. Williams. Uh, I think just briefly, because he wrote, wrote the um, Patsy Fagan. Patsy no, Hulan. Patsy Hulan. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. didn't know if you were there at the same time, but I remember he, he was popped in for a couple of days, but he's in with the next question. Short and sweet. Is Cliff Dorburn one of the most underrated world champions ever? Ooh. It's a tough one. I have told Cliff that, you know, when he won the world championship, that would have been the first championship I ever could have seen as I was mm -hmm. five months old. So that kind of aged him a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, th I think so a little bit because uh, I was fortunate enough when we were down at the U.S. Nationals this year, Darren, Darren Taylor actually won that tournament, whose father is David Taylor. Oh, wow. As you might remember, the Silver Fox over there. And he, we were talking off table, and he's like, yeah, people just don't understand how good Cliff was. He was just so impressive. Um, and obviously, I was very young when his dominance was going, so I didn't get to see him at his prime, but I'd have to believe... Uh, that he was really good and yeah. uh, hopefully you know hopefully he can do some good things i know he lives out in toronto and he's trying to help things grow he's got a little youtube channel as well so that's good to, uh, to get hidden out there and hopefully people are tuning into that well i mean uh, my, my my instincts are that he's that he's not underrated i have to say i mean th there is that funny thing where i think i'm, I'm not sure it's exactly relevant to the question but He's almost as famous for that one four seven, isn't he? Than winning the world. I mean, listen, winning the world title is a far bigger and more important thing. But you often with Cliff, you hear that one four seven come up, and uh, I mean, my instincts are that he's he's not underrated. I mean, I know people sometimes focus on that grinding style of his. He was called the grinder, and he had a certain sort of tenacious. But I think that's all. You know, people that I know, real snooker people, would, would would use that as a compliment. So interesting question. I know he's he's directed it to you, not me, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll you know. I'll, I don't. I don't really think he is personally, but no. Um, well, but I you think that. I, I had a point there, but <laughs> I got lo lost in your laughter. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, we'll come back. It would. It, it would have been a great one. You might. You, it, it, it might. You might come back to it. It's getting late here, folks. We're doing a marathon, Phil. We we did quite streamline our episodes to around about an hour, but. That discipline has been thrown out the window tonight, isn't it? But we, ha we have got lo loads to talk about. The Mariners' talk here is next. With all the great players coming from Canada, why has there not been any from the United States? I can only recall Jim Rempey, who reached the last 64 of the World Championship once. Any talent coming through, uh, I have fond memories of watching Davis White taking on Steve Miserak in the 1980s. 
So interesting question for you. We have, must must do that thing, of course, where you know Canada and the United States are very different countries, and and people from Canadians and Americans are very different. But we're doing that thing of labelling you a bit together. But I think in the snooker sense, we can kind of do that. It is funny, isn't it, that um, you know, we haven't had perhaps so many players from that sort of region, and the fact they all came in that eighties, and not just no, you know, half good players, incredible players, you know, Cliff. Kirk Stevens, you know, Bill was a top player, you know, Alan Mobadou later on. It's funny they came in that spell, but not after, eh? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, just coming back to the thought I had on Cliff, I guess Uh. people probably recognize that 147 because it was the first ever done at the Crucible Theater. Yeah, it was. Whereas the the World Championships, it always happens each year and stuff like that. Uh, But going to this question from the Mariners Took, thank you very much. Uh, Not sure why America has not produced you know we have winter months both in canada and america so people do like to be indoors um what you know i know uh, way back in 1776 america you know uh, fought for their independence from uh, britain so i don't know maybe things carried on that they didn't want anything british coming to them so and maybe snooker was one of them i'm not too sure uh (laughs) yeah it's it's a head scratch when and maybe just the exposure wasn't there. Like, if uh, they showed it on the telly, maybe some Americans would have got inspired, but we were just fortunate enough that we just had so many great players. Like, I was the other day, just if you look at the 1980 championship on Wikipedia, look at even in the qualifiers, there was a bunch of Canadians there. Like, I think Jim Bear was over there, Bernie Mickelson. So, ah, it's, it's tough to say why America never grabbed it. Um, I guess we could have the same ba- debate about cricket. Why is that not like jumped over uh, mm. <laughs> in North mm. America? But well, it's interesting. I, I, I just saw it's a bit of a tangent, but I noticed cricket story breaking tonight is going to be at the Olympic Games in, in Los Angeles. So maybe that will be a chance. And well, it may. I thought of this earlier actually while we were recording, because you mentioned the Olympics. I mean, I know we're biased here, but snooker must be one of the last relatively frontline sports not to be an olympic sport now i mean it's so frustrating we just can't seem to get any kind of for any q sport any kind of foothold in the in the biggest sporting event of all and wouldn't that be massive but yeah that's a but that might change the mindset of of, of cricket uh you know being in america a eh, david mm-hmm. that's true yeah it's quite possible it just gets that exposure and yeah why is snooker not in the olympics like okay there's a, a debate that it's not is physically demanding, but you know some of these matches can be quite wa- long, and really, everyone has the same technique. You know, cricket, golf, snooker, high jump, but it usually comes down what's between the ears when the time is there. If you've got the mental strength, that makes you a champion over not. And interesting when when sports do come in the Olympics, because you would think it, the host nation would want to stick one in that they'd have a good chance of doing well in so i'm not sure how cricket's landed in la <laughs> seems very strange but i think you know with stuka well, i don't know why we didn't go for that when it was in london or in and china had it in beijing would have been good medal chances there for the host nations but yeah it's very complicated though i know they've been trying very hard for a long time to get snooker in there but not easy to do um aiden dullery i'm afraid i pinched your question earlier when he said, how hopeful would david be of a ranking tournament or maybe an invitational to begin with coming to north america one day has there been any meaningful discussions with WST about it? Um, which I sort of recovered, but I suppose, I don't know, I didn't really ask if you're hopeful of it one day 
Um, do you think it could happen in the future? I'm definitely hopeful, and I think it could. It's just going to come down to the dollars and cents. Like, um, just a small little story on my line is like, you know, I came in and started running tournaments, and I didn't have that. You know, I had some support from some people like a uh, good friend, Rob Johnson, does great graphic work to get the word out about the tournaments and Sam Tawning helps out behind the scenes. But there wasn't a lot. But now we're getting more people outside that world. Like there's a great gentleman named Godfrey Chan that is a great supporter of that. And now he's kind of helping a little bit with financial things. Uh, I, we did a program last year for the first time for our BC Open, and we had a lot of great uh sponsorship being put into the magazine that helped us you know pay for running these tournaments so i think it's going to continue to grow and and i think you know people when you come and talk to them out if they want to put some you know money and get them their company whatever out you're kind of selling yourself because they can see your interest and your um, enthusiasm for the game and they're like i like that i want to you know jump in on that so it's it's baby steps, but I think we're getting there. You know, they didn't get to the moon on the first Apollo mission, so <laughs> absolutely. I'll I'll just finish Aiden's here, which isn't a question, but we never cut out compliments. So Aiden said, also please accept my compliments on your commentary. I tuned into the U.S. Women's Open live stream for the past two years and really enjoyed it. Wish others would do what Oxbillards does in terms of showcasing the women's tournaments in other locations. Oh. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Glad that we can enhance and enjoy your snooker viewing. Yeah. Well, that's very nice. Thank you, Aidan. And John asks, how do you follow snooker in Canada? Is it ever shown on television there, or is it mainly via streams that you watch? Uh, usually Carrier Pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one hiccup, I must admit. Like, we... The zone was doing wonderful things. Uh, and then I guess in Canada, they lost the contract. Not too sure what happened there. Dollars, dollars and cents, probably. But we are able to tune into Matchroom. The one tough is, I don't think Matchroom has on-demand matches. And if we can figure that out, we really would be doing the sport a great service. Because at times... You know, your guys' nighttime matches, 7 p.m. is 11 a.m. for me in Vancouver. And Matchroom, great, we'll show it live. But what happens if I'm off at work that day? You know, I'd love to come home from work today and then in the evening watch the match then. Because watching it live, you know, you just, they do sometimes put them up on YouTube. But sometimes you look at a YouTube clip, and if it's an hour-long clip and a player is up 2 nothing. In a best of seven, you're like, mm, I think this, I think I know who won this match. <laughs> uh, and as well, some guys have just put all the shots up on YouTube for a match. It's just the shot, the shot. So you're not hearing, you know, some of the commentators giving a little backstory and stuff like that. You know, Dave and Neil do a wonderful job. Dave Hendon and Neil Fulz, that is. And all of them, all the commentators over there. So we don't want to clip their great insight. <laughs> so it is tricky. And hopefully, you know, someone can make it work that you can get a on-demand you know when the matches show them live but then they're still on their website database or whatever that players can re-watch it in its entirety i i always thought that when matchroom.live launched that that was sort of part of the selling point that it was a big sort of library of everything they had on there but they were sort of they never materialized 
and I so I was questioning whether I'd ever read that, but I was pretty certain that that was part of the the whole package that was meant to be on offer. So, yeah, I've heard other people say similar before, and that would be an amazing uh, archive, which must exist somewhere. So it, it would be very nice. Seems as people pay for it, um, it would be great to be there. Yeah, they do have a few things on demand, but you look at it on demand. What do they have right now? They just have Luca winning the World Championship. Mm-hmm. So. Hopefully, you know, uh, I do remember when I was first over in Sheffield, I was able to be a, in the press room only for a couple of days. But ironically, it was one of the times when Steve Dawson did his press conference and, you know, talked to him about, you know, an event coming to North America. And he was definitely for it because um, they were seen at that time. DAZONE was showing snooker in Canada as well as America. And he's seen the numbers that there is the interest there. But obviously, as we say a million times, dollars and cents, pounds and sterlings, yens and well, whatever kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say we get loads of, of American and, and, and Canadian listeners. So hello to you out there. I know many of you do listen, you know, across North America, and you're always most welcome. And if you have, you'd like to respond to what you've heard here and let us know your experience there. In Canada or the United States, let let us know. I have heard again. I know you know you're Canadian, but obviously you spend a fair bit of time in, in the United States, David. I have heard this thing before. Oh, the sport won't lend itself to the mindset because it's too long form. But I, I don't buy that because you know you look at a sport like baseball. They play about 160 games. They go on forever and a day. So I don't think there is anything in the mindset. I think it's just that thing that you say. It's sort of it's niche. I mean, to some extent, it's niche even here. And it's very difficult to get a foothold in a market where there are, frankly, so many enormous sports, aren't there? So many just huge sports that are enjoyed already across the US and Canada. And getting that foothold in there, it's just not easy. Totally agree. Yep, it's it's tough. But I think the one thing, obviously, is tricky about snooker is you don't know when it's going to end. You know, matches can be done and dusted pretty quickly, or you can have a grinding affair. So that might be tough for broadcasters, but who's really watching television these days? Everything is streamed pretty much. Yeah. It's all up on the internet. Um, and maybe, you know, they're looking at the lack of advertising abilities. You know, sure, you have the logos on the players and in the arena. And, you know, there's a break for a couple of commercials, say, in between frames. Um, and then, you know, during the mid-session interval, they could maybe put a bit more advertising. But yeah, it, it's it's a tricky thing. Um, I agree too. Like sometimes there is that talk that people don't have the attention spans as they used to. Um, but it's just we got to do our right job over here in North America about educating people in the sport. Because sure, a new fan, you see a safety battle going back and forth. Why aren't they putting any balls in the pockets to a newcomer? <laughs> that looks just rather silly, boring. But to someone that knows the game and knows how difficult some of those safety shots are and what they're trying to do, yeah. it's a feast for the eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, you summed it up very well. And we have to say, I'm pretty sure at the end of our questions now, we're at the end of the listeners' correspondence. We just have to say a massive thank you. You've been a, a very illuminating guest in every every sense, David. And, you know, we, I don't know why you're laughing. I'm being genuine here. Come on. I'm speaking from the heart. You've been a delight. Will you come back and see us again, even when you're a very, very famous commentator? Oh, I, I will always make time for you guys. You are 
great fun. You know, always have fun talking about different beer techniques and, you know, how <laughs> not to have our cue stuck on those ash cues. So uh, it's just been tremendous and love what you guys do for the game. Always good to, you know, share a laugh and all that good stuff. And uh, can't wait to see you guys again in person in Sheffield. Um, but I guess not to deter many of the listeners next time, maybe I should do my kind for them. And now they'll think it's a all Brit commentary, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, bloody hell. Well, I nearly forgot before you came on air, you did that thing that I, I, I can never stand where people do good. People, we have guests on, by the way, little insight here, folks. And they have a habit of doing brilliant things before we come on air. I'm like, oh my God, don't do that. Don't. They tell a great story, don't they, Phil? Or they mm-hmm. a great anecdote. I think, oh, don't do that. You know, say it on air. Come on, you, you've, got, you've got an impression. You've got to share it. Come on. Well, it's a tough one to do because you've got to think about many things when you do it. And I'm not sure if it's correct. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just butchering that one. Oh, that was good. Um, yeah, I tried to do the Michael Caine. But uh, one thing about impressions, if anyone's an impression or trying to be there, I think it's just you got to get a word or something like that yeah. and then start seeing their face there. So stones. Stones is something that when I say stones, I can talk like Michael Caine. Stones are the thing that get me going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the first Michael Caine impression we've ever heard on Talking Snooker, Phil, isn't it? Loved it, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I want to say to as David, before you go, and this was not a setup, you only mentioned the BC magazine, BC Open magazine, and I forgot that it's right here by my desk. You gave it to me in Sheffield. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I very much treasured that. So it sits right here by my desk. So no, unfortunately, no one else can see that visual. But I just want to show to David that I've kept hold of that from the Crucible. Thank you very much. And like, a question, has there ever been a non-Brit commentator at the Crucible Theatre? Well, you, you th- you've thrown a question and a half there. I, I, I Has there ever been a, a non-Brit commentator at the world championship talk among yourselves a bit and i'll uh, talk did, some more phil I don't about know when he did, didn't didn't white choose to commentate but i'm not sure if it was it, the world championship yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't now know whether whether it was the world championship or not i wouldn't like to say quite possibly yeah well ken doherty is certainly not british to be fair yeah absolutely oh. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of north american voices there can't have been many uh going back but yeah no it's a good question and uh yeah perhaps we'll uh throw it out there let us know out there if you could if, you, if you're if you're you know got a particularly long memory of, of commentators going back so there's early days in the late 70s uh, that reminds me about comment you know that's that great story about ali i think neil fold tells it about i, I don't know if he ever only did one match or i could just be a one of those classic things that's passed down. It might have been Alex Higgins did it, and he just kept smoking in the commentary box. <laughs> I actually, I, he did. Neil Fold said he looked up, he saw just a big a plume of smoke. <laughs> I saw a picture. I saw a picture the other day. I haven't seen it for so many years of Alex Higgins in the commentary box, and it and it sounds silly, but it's an old. I think it might have even been black and white photo. It's obviously forty odd years old now, but you can almost see it from the photo. So that might be the next turning back time photo right. that I put put on our Twitter feed, Phil. But yeah, no. Um. Well, listen. 
we're, we're sure that you, you're, you, the word about you will will spread, David, and we'll no doubt hear you are doing many more many more sort of commentaries. And we certainly enjoy you doing the US Women's Open. You bring a lot of colour to that tournament. And uh, you know, as you say, thank you for joining us. You've been a delight, and uh, we we shall salute you and say enjoy the rest of your day. Our own Groover from Vancouver, folks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and give my love to that town. It's a place. It's a, pl- it's a place. <laughs> I'm going a bit mad at the end of this podcast. Here. We've been on, we've been on too long. Give my give my regards to a place that I've known quite well myself over the years. So it really is great to see Phil. We'll say any other business. We're back next week to review Wuhan and look ahead to the Northern Ireland Open. Uh, missing some of its stars, but there'll be plenty of, of, of big names, of course, to come. We were going to do those shots people can't get out of their heads. Um, well, it's a feature we can't get out of doing now. We, we, we push it, <laughs> we're pushing it back so far. I mean, I don't know when we're going to do it. We'll be watching the King's speech by the time we find it, but that, that's snooker for you, Phil. There's so much to talk about. We have got loads more shots, I promise you. We'll try and do them next time or the time after or the time after, eh? Yeah, I think next time will be a bit uh, more time on the schedule, so we'll see. And uh, maybe, maybe some shots in Wuhan that sneak onto there as well, so we'll see. But yeah, uh, we have had plenty in, so keep them coming, and we'll have a blockbuster shot of them next time. One of them is that Sean Murphy uh, flute, which is definitely not talked about enough, because it actually got him over the line to the snookers mm. required stage um, against Marco Fu, wasn't it, in the UK final? But there's loads, loads of good shots. We'll, we'll, we'll keep them coming next time. I say enjoy the rest of Wuhan um, here in the UK and in Europe, plenty of early morning and lunchtime uh, uh, listening listening and watching. But of course, if you're in the Far East, it'll be, you know, at, at, at the time and plenty of people are. Our friend David Crawford always says that they relish those events because so many uh, times during the season they have funny times, but it's great to follow it as and when it's happening in that part of the world. Keep your thoughts coming. Tweet us talk at Talking Snooker or email talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. It's definitely time to go, Phil. You've got the earliest training in, in the kingdom coming in the morning. And um, I'm sorry it's been so long because you've got that early. No, no, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, the 445 <laughs> um, to London from Sheffield is not one to look forward to, but I'll be on it. But no, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again to David. What a treat. If you see Phil on the 4.45 a.m. in the morning, don't, don't wake him. He, he, <laughs> don't take <laughs> Thanks for your company, Phil. I'll see you next time, sir. Enjoy the rest of Wuhan yourself as well. Yep, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Indeed. And uh, we always enjoy you being with us on Talking Snooker very much and keep your thoughts coming to us. And this has been a lovely episode. We've enjoyed talking so much about snooker in Canada and the U.S., and uh, congratulations to Judd Trump again. Wuhan underway, loads going on. Uh, but for now, from David, Phil, and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.